So I want to become a dog trader. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com. Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says... I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this. This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Here we go. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. We're in! Hooray! Hello! Hello! Oh, yeah. First, We're back in your ear holes! Back in your ear holes, whether you invite... They must have invited us, actually. I was just about to say whether you invited or not. We're not trespassing on ear holes, are we? No. We are well invited. No. You've probably subscribed. They would have had to press a button. Yep, that's a button. And that's all the, that's all the uh, consent we need. God, this is going off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> so... Nice to see you. How's 2021? Uh, about 
about as uh, <laughs> leap word as 2020. What, you mean it didn't all change? On... Uh, no. no. Although oh. I did get my wish and I didn't have to do anything for New Year because I hate New Year. It's oh, really? pointless. Oh, oh, that's a sh- Well, in fairness, ever since we've had Penny with the old firework issue, it's been a bit of a non... Yeah. A non-starter for us as well. So we're normally home by sort of like 10 o'clock. But I'm going to be fireworks this year. I mean, I could shout and scream about them, so I'm not even going to bother. But it's been, <laughs> they've just been oh, yeah, just continuous. It's so nice not to have them at the moment. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. God yeah. almighty. God, I we didn't have, we didn't have any round here. Um, but you did. You just got super duper windows, didn't you? Well, we, ha- we have actually. Um, yeah, we've got, uh, what have we got? Three, it's three, how do you, double, triple triple blazing. There we go, I couldn't think of the word then. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, so 2020, my brain has gone to mush. I've forgotten all the words. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's okay. We're just back to where we were um, last year, really, aren't we? I have done six jigsaw puzzles over the last couple of weeks. Wow, that's pretty cool. That oh yeah, cool. one one of the I ones am... that we got you for Christmas as well. Yes, one yeah. of the ones that you got me for Christmas, and I am I've upped my game now. I can do a jigsaw like that. Have you have you done your bottle of buckfast in yet? No, <laughs> no. You just do I, that while you're you know jigsawing. What? <laughs> there, there's gonna be uh there'll be something in in the next few weeks, maybe the next month. I'm sure that we can break open the buck fast to celebrate so yeah we'll yeah. see meet in the woods yeah. <laughs> yeah. surely that's how you're meant to drink buck fast isn't it Have a brown paper <laughs> exactly. bag walking along the street Just meeting in the woods eating your, <laughs> drinking your buck fast um i i ain't done nothing i've done nothing i've been trying to basically just just clinging on to um trying to get work and stuff you know with um with everything happening trying to trying to decipher government guidelines of what we can and can't do which seems to change on a on a regular yeah. basis um yeah and every no one no one it's a, it's a one hand doesn't talk to the other hand is that the right expression i don't know but it's um <laughs> but it's uh not a hand talk anyway do they god i've made it i don't there. know but yeah what i have done though is i have i've read a lot I have read You have, because you've me, been telling me about this. You've done very, very well. I'm smashing the reading at the moment. I've read the book that we're going to talk about uh, today, which is The Wonderful What the Dog Knows by Cat Warren. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Good book. Yep. Of course, it's a good book because it's on this podcast. Exactly. Um, and I've also been reading The Science of Consequences, um, which is an amazing book. And I wanted to, I wanted to read out something that I learned from the book. Is that all right, Nick? Of course, you don't have to ask my permission. Right, here we go. I did this one, the first bit's not that surprising, okay? Um, but this is all about uh, um, uh, Pavlov. You know, Pavlov. This, this is you? the book that's blowing your mind, isn't it? That you keep messaging oh, me about. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's oh called. It's so good. It's called The Science of Consequences How They Affect Genes, Change the Brain, and Impact Our World by Susan M. Schneider. Okay, um, right, here we go. So this is all about classical conditioning, okay? Um, okay. Right, <clears throat> here we go. Reading straight away, look at that, no, no pressure. Uh, when I teach the college course called Learning, my students get to experience classical conditioning directly. We all have cups with lemonade crystals in front of us. I'm assuming that's like sherbet, right? Um, uh, oh, I've lost my place, hang on. Uh, uh, oh yeah and we keep plastic spoons with a dab of the crystals poised and ready when I say the word 
Pavlov. We put the powder to our tongues and salivate, just like Pavlov's dogs. After repeated pairings, we do a blank, unpaired trial and simply hear Pavlov. The sensation of elicited salivation makes for a unique experience. Even though I know what's coming, I find myself smiling in astonishment, just like my students. Try this at home. I haven't tried it at home yet, but I'm going to, because that sounds amazing. Now, this bit really made me laugh. Uh, Hearing Pavlov repeatedly without any lemonade powder makes the word lose its power. Once, one of my students started being bothered by the taste and did not undergo this extinction, that's a word we've used before, isn't it, procedure at the end of the session. Three months later, one of her friends asked about the class and innocently used the word Pavlov. Bingo, a surge of salivation showed how long this form of learning can last. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, that's good. Um, There's, oh my God, there's so many things about there. There's so, I mean, I, I know, you know, whatever you think about sort of like, experiments with animals and things like that there's lots of like examples of things where they've done little experiments here and there they're absolutely mind-bending and uh yeah absolutely amazing i learned something else of that as well someone's just come into my mind another thing um uh are you, are you a fan of van gogh van gogh van gogh i don't know how you say it i don't know much about um God, him other to. than he went mad and cut off his own ear uh didn't he also paint sunflowers he did yes the chair it's interesting you should bring sunflowers did he go mad because he had syphilis well interesting you should say this natalie light okay. sister behaviors okay. because um i found out that he had um i don't know if he had syphilis actually but he, he was being treated for epilepsy and he was being treated with something called digitalis which is um uh That's fox, fox gloves, gloves. Isn't it? exactly fox gloves there you go um and now there's there's a there, and the, the thing he's been treated with was extracted from foxglove. Yeah. Um, and this particular drug um, interacts with an enzyme in the cone cells. We talked about these before. I think that was on Karen Wilde's episode. The cone cells of your oh, eyes. Oh yeah, in your receptors, eyes. Yeah. And it makes you uh, have like a yellow hue. It makes you see like a yellow hue. And there's like a period of Van Gogh. I'm going to call him Van Gogh. <laughs> Van the man, that's what I call him. Um, there was like, a period like of his Wim, life. Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Oh, I do love Wim Hof. Um, yeah, where he was painting loads of yellow stuff. So um, so the sunflowers and also my favourite, which is Starry Night um, as well. Very yellow. There's a very yellowy period. And, and people are speculating that it's to do with the, uh, the treatment he was getting for epilepsy, which I thought was also very interesting. Wow. Not dog related, but... Um, interesting nevertheless you take what you can get in a lockdown don't you you do you really do and speaking of new facts in lockdown go on um i for the first time ever watched uh beat the chasers and i was hooked beat the chasers what's that I watched it every is that night. the chase no it's different i oh. don't like the chase okay um I don't know why it's just a different format, but beat the chasers. Mm. It's just very quick succession of people. And um, yeah, loads of, uh, we just sit there and shout answers at the telly. Is it the same people? Is it the same um, chasers? Okay. It's still with, with normos, but it's like one normo at a time. And um, (laughs) yeah, you don't really have to um, listen to the rules. Is Bradley Walsh still on it? Bradley Walsh is on it. I yes. do love Bradley Walsh. He's in the new Doctor Who. I'm quite enjoying Bradley Walsh at the moment. I am. Um, 
Who's yeah, did you see the um, New Year special? They did the spoiler of who's going to be the next. Uh, yeah, um... I did. I've got, I've got, um, I've got conflicting views on it. And then, but that that being said, I wasn't really when they announced that Bradley Walsh was going to be in it. I was a bit like, mm. I kind of would rather they be unknown people. But okay. I really enjoyed Bradley Walsh, so I'll, I'll eat my words happily again when John Bishop uh, turns up. Didn't like the New Year, the 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 New Year one though, because it's a. I'm not a fan of the Daleks. Let's not turn this into a Doctor Who podcast because it could quickly become a Doctor <laughs> Who podcast because I'm quite nerdy about Doctor Who. And um, lost. And lost, yeah, enough said about that. I saw something the other day and I thought of you because it, uh, it was someone just saying, what's the acceptable number of times to re-watch Lost? <laughs> <laughs> there is. There is no number. That's no. the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall we um, talk about why we have convened on this Zoom platform for the evening? Yeah, let's give Cat's um, wonderful book the praise that it deserves. Um, I've, I've actually, I've been, I've been gushing over um, Facebook messages to Cat already. Um, oh, she's, she's a fabulous human. She's probably wondering, oh my god, what have I got myself into? Are you, are you super fanning her? I am a bit. I'm a little bit super fanning her. I. <laughs> I thought, so What the Dog Knows by Cat Warren, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways Dog Perceived the World. Um, I love this, but I read it over Christmas. This is the this is probably, I think it's probably the fastest I've ever read a book. Yeah, you beat me. And that includes all the Mr. Men's that I read when I was... Yeah, uh... and <laughs> there are some pictures in there, but there's not a lot. Not a lot. There's not a lot. Um, I Proper words. Proper I reading. Well. Proud the, of you. The thing you need to know about this book, folks, is uh, this book came out in, oh, I'm running now, 2012, he's saying. Let me just have a quick thumb through and see if I can find out when it was when it was originally. Uh, 2016. Oh, 2016. Okay. Although it says copyright Cat Warren 2013, so it's first published in 2016. Okay. Um, it's blooming brilliant, but what has just came out now... Um, is a young reader's version that we've also got sent a copy of as well, which is absolutely... I only opened it up today and found that there's a little stamp of... You'll hear all about Solo in this podcast, but there's a little stamp of Solo's nose in it, and I was just like, oh. Um, The young reader's version, obviously aimed at young readers, um, uh, has got... uh, Lots more sort of like pictures and little tables. It's actually really, really cool looking through it. And I, I you know, I, <laughs> I didn't get a Young Readers version until after I had the original version, the adults version. But now I've got it. It's really cool to look through and, and just see some of the pictures and put some faces to the to the names that are in the book. It's really good. Just looking through it now again, getting all my myself. But it is, <laughs> it's about Cat's journey with her dog um, Solo. Uh, who is unfortunately no longer with us, um, little solo, but um, into the world of cadaver dogs. Now, yeah. obviously, you know, um, being into dog training, that just, uh, when I heard about the book, I was like, wow, that just sounds amazing because I didn't know anything about it. Um, mm-hmm. get, you know, dabbing my toes into tracking and things like that. So it seemed like a no-brainer to to get in touch. I think it was Zassafras that put me in touch with her, actually, I think, originally. Um, or Melissa could have been Melissa. Sorry if I'm getting it wrong, but um, but yeah, uh, it's great. It's like uh, not like a lot of the books that we um review talk about on here are textbooky books, practical books. This is different. This is uh, this is a story about it's her story, her and Solo's story about 
how they got into cadaver work, what that journey was like. Also, it's like Solo's memoir, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. It's so good. It is really, really good. So, I mean, we did have uh, The Last Walk, didn't we, with Jessica Pierce, which is a bit like a, yeah. a, a, mem- a memoir as well. But tell you what about this book. It's been so meticulously researched. It's just blooming brilliant. It really is. And you would expect that because uh, Kat started her um writing career i believe in in newspaper and journalism um so yeah that that comes through but the again though the writing is is brilliant it's you you just don't want to put it down and the way she describes things is great i um (laughs) i even got engrossed in the notes section so there's a whole sort of 20 plus pages at the back which go through each chapter and you know um acknowledges all of the articles she's read and know, people that she's know. spoken to um and goodness knows how she kept a track of all of <laughs> all of the one i'd love to see her desk yeah. <laughs> i i'd like to think it because she was um a, a journalist as well wasn't she so yeah. i i yeah. just imagine her desk being covered in post-its and notes everywhere and maybe one of those cool maps with red string <laughs> <laughs> definitely like a whole wall of like little yeah. linking things up like one of those crazy detectives that's gone rogue exactly like what <laughs> you find in someone's secret loft where they've been hunting for someone for well, their life we'll get to ask her won't we because yeah, we l- will. luckily enough we're going to be talking to cat um our first would it be our first new york times best-selling author on barks from the bookshelf i'm not sure if anyone else has been a New York Times best-selling so. author. Yeah. Wow. We're, in, we're in very, we're in uh, esteemed uh, company then, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I, I know what you mean about the notes at the back. Normally, if I'm reading a book, do you know what? I do this sometimes. I shouldn't, probably shouldn't admit this. But normally, like, well, if I start reading a book, especially if it's a big one, I look towards the back and I think, well, some of this is going to be notes and acknowledgements and stuff. So how many actual pages have Are I got? Are you looking ahead to see how much <laughs> you've got to get through? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, sometimes. So I, I very rarely go into the notes and stuff, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I did. I delved in. I delved in. So I'm, I'm very, very glad about it. So uh, without a further ado, shall we um, Shall we go and uh, Let's see? Let's about it. Yeah, I don't think do we do we need to know why read it. I think that was just a why read it, wasn't it? Yeah, I, think, we I just, know. I think we we gotta have to forego the um the jingle. Well let me just add something then. Go so on, then. we're all we're all in lockdown at the moment. You may not be um you know, a, a sort of stalwart of, of training and behaviour and all the technical stuff, um and the, the practical things. Um but this is just a wondrous book of a lovely story of one woman and her dog and with just um, snippets and gems of how wonderful and amazing the world of, of scent work is. Mm. So it's like a little mystical journey um, in and an insight into quite a sort of sometimes dark world, mm. um, but um, with some surprising kind of... Um, uh twists and turns and cases and all that kind of stuff so i think it brings together everything that i love really uh dogs um death you do you love a murder program don't you I you love, love all of that i sort love of stuff. solving a crime or <laughs> you know, i love uh, i love the answer so if you can solve well, a crime with your best mate, I mean, it's oh a win-win, goodness, isn't it? Yeah, it would just, it must be so, uh, I mean, Kat writes about it better than I can articulate it, but mm. that, there's that kind of um, 
weird conflict of emotions where you're you have a sense of achievement because you found um a body yeah uh, but also the sadness that someone's lost their life there's um, a there's a really i mean i'm sure we'll get you maybe you've alluded to that you might bring it up later on but there's a lovely bit in there when he the first time they find um someone um uh who's deceased obviously um uh and the writing is really, it's quite, it's beautiful, the right word. I don't know how to, I don't know really how to put it. I can't really, I can't really articulate it either, which is why I'm not a New York Times bestselling. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll leave that to <laughs> But yeah, but again, it's, it's very, it's respectful. It's descriptive. It's, it's really, really nice. It's really, it's a great, it's a great book. I mean, you know, yeah. gushing again, isn't I? Yeah, right. well, that's, that's what we're here for. Let's go straight into uh, what has pricked our eyes then, shall we? Let's do it! No! You pricked my eye! A sound of an arrow burying itself into... Uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I didn't think that through before I started. Um, what has pricked my eye? Um, the whole thing. The whole thing pricked my eye, as per usual. But if I had to pick one thing, um, I'm going to talk about... So... Again, I, I don't want to go too much into a massive amount of detail about it because I really, really think you should go out and read this book if you haven't read it. Um, uh, but I want to talk about uh, the Winthrop point. Oh, the Winthrop point. Um, so this really did prick my eye. I'm going to read the passage out here. OK, uh, no one in the group had heard of the Winthrop point. I doubt anyone forgot once Lisa had described it. The point was named after the investigator who realised he saw a pattern in some clandestine grave sites. It's a bit morbid there, so bear with me. <laughs> Killers, the investigators realised, were doing the same thing that soldiers used to do when they needed to bury excess ordnance. The military needed to know how to get back to it. Murderers want to return to visit their victims but need to recognise where they've hidden their bodies. They also need to know if law enforcement is getting close the Winthrop Point is a distinctive landmark that won't burn, die, rot, or be covered in kudzu. I don't know what kudzu is. Don't know. No. Trees can't be a Winthrop Point. Gravel roads are out. Since roads come and go, a huge boulder might work. A concrete sewer drain, some permanent fixture in the landscape. So that pricked my eye because of a morbid fascination in what murderers would do when they um, when they're obviously trying yeah. to hide their body in that. But that makes sense, doesn't it? You need and a the name. So is it is it only to do with uh, bodies, the Winthrop point, or is it to do with just general, you know, finding your bearings in a large landscape? So do, 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 the investigator who realised, yeah, so it must just be to do with bodies, I guess, because it's named after the the investigator that realised that oh okay that, that yeah. killers were doing the same that soldiers did so it wasn't named before that by the by the sounds of it it's just it was just a tactic employed yeah. by the military but it's now got um which has now got a, a nice little name to it well so, i've yeah. i've just googled it actually and oh, apparently <laughs> there's a place called winthrop point in arkansas oh, so there? would you want to live there <laughs> There's just loads of dogs around there. Sniffing. Loads of dogs sniffing <laughs> dead bodies everywhere. The Winthrop point. There we go. So oh, that, shit, I like that. That my That gives you. There, there's a little um, sort of like snippet, ladies and gentlemen, for the uh, for the sort of uh, sort of things that you might learn going through this book. Um, like I said, a little bit morbid. Maybe should have put a little trigger warning. No, on no. One, I like. I uh, you know. It's fine. I like I'm death. You're going to say. I like it. <laughs> 
Okay. Right, go on then, you um, go on. Okay, um, there's a whole, there's a couple of pages here and I just love the whole section. So I'm, I'm uh, probably going to read out a bit too much, but um, uh, I, it just, it hit the nail on the head for me. Good, um, I like it. So... Dogs do some things much better than humans, other things not so well. They're much better at scent work than we are, but we don't hand them the car keys and ask them to report back to us at the command control centre when they found what they're looking for. Humans need to set dogs up for success. Dogs need to be put in the right spot to do the job right. That means more than just being downwind. It means partnering with them. I needed to learn when to step aside and when to be helpful to Solo. We were a team. Trusting your dog and letting him do his work doesn't mean being an unthinking chump. You have to keep your eyes and mind open. Nice. Nice. There's loads of little things like that all throughout the book about uh, there's a lot I'm going to bring up later in the interview. So again, I'm just going to little teaser here, but there's this lovely, there's this juxtaposition between the, the how cat uh, was when solo arrived in her life. And there's a whole story about that as well versus later on down the line when they're thinking of getting another puppy um and mm. there's lovely things about um what she learned from from working dogs or being around dogs with like what maybe what we might call high drive you know the sort, yeah. of, the sort of dogs that you would be a nightmare in a sort of like house you know what i mean like in a yeah. normal scenario that might be misbehave yeah. or what we would call misbehaving what we might interpret as misbehaving but really yeah. they're just up for it um uh so there's well, that that kind of seamlessly links into my second prick to my eye oh, go on then, yeah. i'm gonna go in the wrong order again no, sorry that's fine. that's fine but um i love this and i really think that anyone with a, a reactive dog or, or someone that's worked through a behavior issue behavioral issue with their dog um we all have these moments where something clicks and uh, so cat writes um uh, he was more than five years old, smart, cheerful, fearless, independent, even able to ignore other dogs when he worked, though it was clear he was pretending. Everyone's an actor. Mostly, Solo was becoming likeable. He smiled constantly, <laughs> his mouth open and relaxed, big teeth gleaming. And I just think I have certainly had those moments yeah. with, with Jack, my my first collie, who, um, again, you know, high drive dog, um, not the... Uh, trot along have a 20 minute pavement walk mm. kind of um and then settle at your feet type experience of dog ownership um but once you get to know each other properly and accept each other um you kind of fall in love all over again don't you yeah so yeah those like those little magic moments don't yeah, you I, yeah. I know exactly exactly what you mean and i think that again that i that's a lovely thing about the book because cats not um you know a lot of the times again we review books from people we would describe as sort of like dog experts and of course cat's an expert in like the things that she's done with so and everything yeah. like that but it's also hearing like it's like going back to before you knew about dogs like discovering it all again like kind of thing yeah. through the eyes of someone that's just you know working their way through this um which kind of it taps into my other pretty eye this one this is going to seem it's almost like we scripted this um <laughs> which of course we never do um uh, <clears throat> here we go um another another little passage i was slowly starting to understand why working dog trainers like dogs who were pains in the rear <laughs> uh who destroyed crates who tore up the insides of cars who challenged everything 
who tried to jam three toys in their mouths at once. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, you know, yeah, that again, there's a little moment of realization there, isn't there? Sort of an acceptance like kind of thing, which is nice. Really, really nice. Yeah. So, yeah. um, It's it's almost kind of, um, you know, I've heard, I've heard other people talk about dogs or, or write about dogs in a way that you, you almost kind of grieve for the dog you thought you were getting, but then you, you accept um, what you have in front of you. And, you know, if you're lucky, like, um, like cat and you find something that you can excel in with your dog and really both enjoy, um, then it's just a win-win really. Everyone is a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good. Wow, there you go. That was that was nice. Seam, seamless prick my eye section there. Very good. Look, look at that. Well, back on back on the horse, aren't we, Nat? Eh? We are. We are. <laughs> no one would even know we've had time off over Christmas. No one would know. <laughs> right, <laughs> onward. Whoa! It's the Greg Wallace moment. <laughs> Ooh. There we go, Greg. Greg, he's back in 2021. Greg. He's Greg, look, Greg, Greg. He's looking more Greg than he's ever looked, and he's wowing his way through January. Greg's um in South Africa on telly at the moment. Is he really? Yes, he is. How dare he leave Southampton? <laughs> he's out the factory and into Namibia or somewhere. Oh, right. Um, okay. This is my Greggy Woo. Go on, him. And I think. Uh, people always used to think I was a bit bonkers from either filming myself or just watching other people, but Kat is reaffirming how that I wasn't bonkers. I was I was learning. Um, there's no substitute for watching other people and dogs train. It's only then you fully realise that the stupid things you see them doing, you're doing too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, all right. That's a good one. I don't can't believe I didn't pick that one myself. That sounds like the sort of thing I'd say. That is good. That is a that is a definite book slam moment, isn't it? Yeah, I've been there yeah. so many times. Have I been there? And and yeah, film yourself if you're doing any sort of training. Film yourself. First of all, you'll be absolutely gobsmacked by how stupid you are when you're training your dog. And second of all, you'll be able to correct all of the things that you're not even realizing that you're doing um, as yeah. you do it. One of the classes that I used to love doing, it was um, it was a, a really small group that we'd only have four of us and we'd have two hours. And um, so the dogs would be worried about either people or, or other dogs. And so we'd only have one dog at a time. But it and, and you kind of think, oh, well, the three people that aren't don't have their dogs out might feel a bit shortchanged. But actually... I used to love standing with them and they're all watching and you can see people's mm. skills at observing without the worry of their dog next to them. You can um, judge everyone. Develop over, over the time. <laughs> what did you say? You can judge everyone. <laughs> you can judge everyone. <laughs> no, I know, but that's, the thing is, that's why it was, it was invite only. It was, you of know, course, people yeah. that, that were really comfortable with each other um, so that we weren't, it didn't seem judgmental. It was, you know, it was really, really useful. If you can I set like up that. that kind of environment, it's really rewarding. Yeah. Really rewarding, isn't it? Maybe one day when mm. we're allowed. When we're allowed here to be in the same field as one another yeah, again. Exactly. Right. Okay. Here comes what's my. Your, what's, got, what's your Greggy Woo? I've got two. One's kind of a a, um, a a passage from the book. The other one, I'm, I am going to read another for the other one, another passage from the book, but it kind of just blew my mind and it gives me more questions than than answers but so here we go for number one 
<clears throat> During one search, Solo went right to the spot. Uh, went right to a spot in the woods. He laid down and looked at me expectantly. An investigator confirmed Solo had alerted on the exact spot where more than a year earlier hunters had found the bones of a murder victim. The pine forest floor held on to uh, held on to her scent and would do so for years. That's quite wow. Mind that is a Wow! That is a wow. That's why, you know, the more I learn about dog scent and how they smell. I bought this book as well because this was in, this was actually in. This one's called Scent and the Scenting Dog. This one's an old book, man. This is by William G. Syrotuck, I think his name is. And this was first, uh, first printed in 1972. I wasn't even born. That's how old this book is. Um, but it's um, apparently still quite relevant, um, and okay. it's and it's all about a lot to do with how scent works, um, what it likes to hang around, what different environmental factors cause it to do what, this, that, and that. I haven't got into that yeah. one yet, but it's going to be my, my next one. Well, once you've read that, I've got a bit more of a sciencey one, so I'll break you in Ooh. gently. But I've got an um, olfactory system book. Um, which I can't show you because I'm not in the in the library it at just, the moment. It gets me so enthusiastic. The whole scent work stuff. It really does. We did it the other day. Um, uh, I was walking peaches on uh, uh, the airfield. It's one of our local walks that we really like. And um, sometimes when we go there, we take Peach and Penny and Corin will go off sort of like and do half a walk with Penny. I'll go and do half a walk with Peach and then we'll meet um, for a bit of yeah. a jaunt together. Um, this time, though, I um, we'd got held up, um, me and Peach, because she was in a particularly sniffy mood. So we'd, we'd gone having a bit of a sniff around and Corin had passed us at our, our usual meeting point. So she phoned me. Where are you? What's going on? I was like, oh, and I thought, oh, well, this is a really good opportunity. If you carry on walking, then I'm going to get to a point where I know you started from. And then I'm going to say to Peach, oh, where's my... Yeah. That, that's the so cue. You, I say, where's mama? And them. she looks around and I... And then, you know, um, she just went into tracking mode, like straight away. She caught the center current on the floor. You couldn't even... You couldn't have wow. missed it. Now I know what to look for. And I yeah. held the lead like you're supposed to when you're tracking, and and she went on at that speed that they that they do when they're tracking, and you could just tell it was. And came to crossroads, she'd look one way, she looked another, she sniffed on the floor. I could also tell the parts where Penny had gone off the path and had a oh, little yeah. explore because she would go off to all of those parts. It was wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful, and you feel like such a well, like you said earlier on, you feel like such a team. Um, it was brilliant, yeah. and I, I'm by no way a tracking expert. I'm still just you know. Dipping my oh, me neither. It. I mean, uh, but even just scratching the surface, it's just mm. so fascinating, isn't it? And it kind of opens up a whole new world of what you're, what you're then observing when you're watching your dog. And it also, it's really mindful to watch, to oh be in goodness, that moment. You know, yeah, I could, I could just spend hours doing it. It's just fascinating. There was a bit yeah. where I, we were kind of following another dog walker, and I'd seen that she, she'd gone off to the right. And then when we got to the point where she'd gone off, I could just, you could just almost see Peter's brain working. Like there's something, there's information going that way. Yeah. But, that, but that's not my mama. My mama went this way. And then, you know, <laughs> she went like, it's just, yeah, it was just fascinating. We have some very exciting news for you on the Barks from the Bookshelf podcast. Our lovely friends at Dogwise, who publish a lot of the books that we have featured and are due to feature, have decided to give all of you lovely listeners 10% off all of their titles. So if you head to their website, which is www 
dogwise.com. You can have a look at their catalogue and when you get to your shopping cart at the end, just type in the coupon code, which is BarkBook, all one word, B-A-R-K-B-O-O-K, and they'll give you a whopping 10% off. Enjoy! So the other uh, a Greg Wise moment I had is about... Um, now, it, there's a part in the book, we might speak to Kat about this actually, because it's interesting, there's a part in the book where Kat gets worried about the sort of locations where she's been working solo. So industrial locations, places where there might be dust on the floor, carcinogens, you know, all of this kind of thing, which, you know, rightly so, you, should, you know, I, I guess that would, it is worrying. And, you know, if you start thinking about it, you know, the amount that dogs sniff when you see them, when yeah. they're in a sniffing, you think, Christ, what are they getting up their nose there? Um, I went all Dorset. Yes, you, you went a bit West Country then. <laughs> what are you getting up their nose there? Hey? Um, uh, so, um, there's a passage in the book where she talks about, um, a woman called, uh, Cynthia Otto, who studied, um, the dogs that were deployed during 9-11 to look for, oh, wow. well, look for survivors so and they're bodies. going through all sorts of rubble and... Exactly that. Fuel and God knows what. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, jet fuel, concrete, mm-hmm. powder, the whole thing um so she actually found in the study that she did with them that these dogs seem to live longer and healthier lives than your average dog um which i thought was really really interesting and then cat puts down here saying so i have a theory that i'd love to explore and i wouldn't mind asking if she ever did explore it um if the physical activity and the fitness and the mental stimulation and just the joy of life that these dogs have because they're doing something so great and have such a great bond with their handlers. If that doesn't in, uh, if that doesn't enhance not only the quality of life but their longevity as well. Wow. It'd be an yeah. interesting thing, wouldn't it? Um, because you'd think, wouldn't you? Like, you know, being exposed to. I mean, that's obviously quite a small study. I'm not sure how many dogs were deployed there. Um, but all amazing, all of them. But you'd think it would have an adverse effect, wouldn't you? They, you'd think they wouldn't, on average, live longer than a dog that hasn't been sniffing around jet fuel yeah. and stuff and doing all that sort of stuff. But yeah, there you go. Maybe the sort of, well, I don't know. I'm going into Steve science mode here. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating. <laughs> it's all gone. Woo. Yeah. I don't want to go wooey, do I? Don't want to go wooey. Been... Oh dear. Yeah. But um, some great Greg Wallace's there. Some really good yeah, ones. Yeah, they were good. They were again, very good. If that hasn't piqued your interest to go and buy the book, I don't know what will. <laughs> I don't know what will. Well, probably, um, Probably an interview with Cat Warren will, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, we could give it a go and see how they feel. Well, let's, I'll tell you what, um, have I got a bio? I have got a bio. Hold your horses. Oh, Let hang me... on one second. He's He's yeah. got info. I got info. I got a bio for Cat. Here we go. Dun, 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 dun. Right, are you ready? <clears throat> I am ready. About Cat Warren. Cat Warren is the New York Times best-selling author of What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing and the Amazing Ways Dog Perceive the World. The, the book tells the story of learning to work with her impossible young shepherd as a cadaver dog to find the missing and dead. It won critical acclaim and was long-listed for the Pen-EO, I'm me- murdering this, I am, Wilson Literary <laughs> Science Writing Award. Um, and also the Young Readers edition of What the Dog Knows was published in October 2019. Cat uh, grew up in the, con- in the country in Oregon, worked as a newspaper journalist for many years across the United States, now writes teachers at North Carolina State University and plays with dogs. She lives with her husband and their two large German shepherds in Durham. That's Durham in the United States, not Durham in England. 
unfortunately. <laughs> so there we go. So shall we, what do you reckon? Shall we have a little chatty? Yeah, let's go and talk to her. I can't wait. Let's do it. I was absolutely yeah. the the young readers version of what the dog knows. The hard copies arrived a couple of days ago, and um, because it. because I'd looked through the PDF a lot, I hadn't opened them up until today, and I was thrilled to find a little stamp of Solo's nose in there. So adorable. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I was absolutely like, oh my god, when I opened up, that's yeah, fantastic. and that was hard to get because I had to paint his um, nose with um, liquid charcoal. Uh-huh. I'd gotten you know. Um, charcoal tablets from Whole Foods yep. and I mixed it with water and then I'd paint his nose and give him a liver treat and press a paper up against his nose. And, you know, he kept going like that and like, <laughs> what are you trying to do? Leave me alone, Stop crazy that. human. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's lovely. It's a nice, nice, nice little it's touch. Really nice, really nice touch. I really so, enjoyed yeah. it. Thank you. I've done, I've done the old podcast trick of uh, pressing record beforehand, um, but um, we can we can swing on into things as we go now. So okay, um, that uh, sounds good. Obviously, again, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I, yeah, I, um, so nice. you've probably guessed by now, but I quite enjoyed your book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad, and I saw that Patricia McConnell. Have you had her on? Yes, yes your show. Yeah, yeah, yes. She and I have a very informal, this is off the record, little book group for just the two of us. Oh, wow. Because wow. We're, we're working on, we're both working on fiction projects. So, oh, um, great. So it's really fun. Yeah. I was a, I was a complete fanboy when she was on. Yeah, was she a, was oh, wonderful. I was a bit yeah. gossip. Well, well, every, everyone has been. It's, it's such a fantastic thing that we get to do and speak to all these wonderful authors and just lovely people. I was, I was saying great. before, we were definitely, I think you're definitely the first New York Times bestseller uh, uh, author we've had on. Maybe. Oh, no, Patricia. Has she been, was it? I was wondering. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I think that Other End of the Leash is... Makes sense um, in Venice, doesn't it? Right. And I think For the Love of a Dog was also a New York Times bestseller. Ah, so, yeah. well, there we go. Well, you're in, you're in, you're in good company. Yeah, she's not a bad person to come second. <laughs> she's, she's, she's a good, she's such a good human being. Yeah, she, she's lovely. So, I mean, the the book is fantastic. We've been, we, 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 I don't know if you know about the podcast, but what we generally do is we, we talk about a book beforehand. We have an interview with the author if we can get one, um, uh, and we have little sections where we go through little bits and bobs. So we've already done a, a fair amount of gushing already about it, which is. <laughs> Which is great. So you, you've got that to look forward to when the podcast comes out. Thank yeah, you. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, I've got loads of things I want to ask you. But what what I'm going to start with is, um, uh, so you uh, you've you've got two dogs at the moment. That's Jacko and Rev, right? So uh, so so sadly, Jacko had epilepsy, oh, really bad okay. epilepsy, and he got it when uh, he was just two years old, and so he was. I already had him certified as a cadaver dog when he had oh, his first uh, really bad seizure. And literally the last four years have been seizures with him. Oh, and so we, David and I talked a lot, right? We had ongoing conversations about when is that enjoyment of life for him and our enjoyment of life, right? 
Mm. at what point and so I mean sadly in September we put Jocko to sleep and he was only he was only six years old but he had essentially I know so much about canine epilepsy now Mm. (laughs) yeah wow we have revs we have rev and rev um is is two and a half and I'm actually going to start him in scent detection training probably later this month oh exciting Um, yeah, it is actually. Will you be going back for any of the old the old channels that you went through with Solo to do it, or? Yes, I mean um, Mike Baker um, is still very much in my life, and I'm good friends with Nancy Hook. Uh, for his foundation, there's a trainer named Lucy Newton who actually teaches for Finzi. She teaches tracking and other things, but mm-hmm. she's search and rescue dogs and actually conservation dogs right for invasive Mm. and protected species but uh, she put the foundation on Jocko for his cadaver dog work and I will go back to her because I want to do that with him and probably we're looking at historic human remains for him okay there's a lovely uh, there's a whole chapter about uh, about that isn't there in in, uh, what the dog knows and it's yeah it's a fascinating yes and what's fun is that it's it's come so much further if i think back you know that chapter was in 2011 that i wrote that and Mm -hmm. so literally it has been a decade and now we're seeing some really beautiful controlled studies come out that have really shown what's there so there's a study out of Croatia, for instance, mm. with um, uh, a wonderful cadaver dog handler and her husband and an archaeologist who collaborated on helping locate Iron Age human wow. remains. So, yes. Yeah, so 2,700 years old. That's yeah. incredible. Um, ah. It's I mean, it is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. And what's lovely about it is you think it's bonkers. And so you... I always go in with a little skepticism, right? Is this accident, is this purpose, purposeful, right? In this case, um, it's so true that um, the dogs were on double blinds where neither the archeologist nor the cadaver dog handler knew where the burial chests were located. And it was essentially rubble on a mountaintop, right? Mm. This is where the sort of the burial grounds were. Um, and the dogs were enormously helpful. Wow. I, yeah. it, it, it's a never-ending, amazing subject for me. I was watching a little video today of um, the rats that find mines, the little rats that they've trained to find um, yes. landmines and things. It's, it's incredible. It is. Um, and Ade Schoon, who is from the Netherlands, is a dog trainer and animal trainer who is responsible for creating all the protocols for training those rats wow (laughs) so if you ever want to have her on the show about scent detection she is utterly amazing and she actually did for the netherlands police a protocol for sexual assault detection dogs wow that's just incredible okay okay well this is just i'm just gonna let you talk cat actually because that's just uh How incredible is that? I can see Nat's feverishly writing stuff down. I am writing things like. down. <laughs> the thing is, that's what's so amazing about the the world of of scent and you know the olfactory abilities of dogs. 
we're a bit you know excuse the pun but we're blind to it aren't we it's a whole we, new world really we are and actually Ade Shun said this really nicely she said because I had her look at the study that came out of Croatia because this is um, Andrea Pintar and her husband Chris Nikolic uh, actually look for mass execution sites mm. in the Balkans, right? Yeah. And that's much of their work. But, you know, Ade put it so nicely that she said, she said, sometimes I think the dogs just look at it and look at us and say, is that all you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's such a, it's such a wonderful way to say if, if humans can get more and more and more exacting with their training, it means that dogs can do more and more and more. Yeah. That completely um, uh, kind of proves the point that hand, the handler skill is so important, isn't it? Because if, it's, if it is quite simple for the dog in terms of what we're asking, but we're asking them to do it perfectly, then our timing of when we say, yes, that is what I want you to do, needs to be spot on. Otherwise, they're going to carry on doing things and trying other things. Um, yeah. I've certainly seen that with my own training as well. <laughs> you know, when oh. you're starting out, it's so hard, isn't it? It doesn't matter when you're starting out, when you're working with a different dog, if you have a headache that day, if you're a little irked at your partner. I mean, I think about all the conditions that we ask dogs and humans to work under. And what's, I think, amazing most of all is that really well-trained dogs can work under a variety of challenges and weather and scent conditions and still be able to say, I'm pretty sure it's right here. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've got a, actually this, 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 I'm going to jump in here because I've got a little clip that Nat actually sent me today that I want to play for you now, uh, just to get your your opinion on this. Oh, Kat. can I? Yeah, can I give Cat a bit of yeah, background? Yeah, of course. You're going. Yes. I want to play it blind. So, um, I was watching a program called Peston last night. It's basically uh, a political chat show. So they they were talking to um, one of the government advisors. He's a very well educated man um, about uh, COVID testing and you know what's going on at the moment. And he was taking questions from social media. Um, and uh, as we were speaking with you today, I thought it would be really interesting to get your response to this. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much, but- If you um, are, I'll let you know. <laughs> I had, yeah, I had to rewind the TV and then film it. And because I was, my, my jaw dropped. So you're uh, gonna, let, let us know what you think. You're gonna have to enable me to share something now, I think. Oh, oh okay. Well, um, it'll be Nat, yeah. Who's Okay, hang on one second. Um, make host. Make host. There you go. You should be able to share your screen. Oh, here now. we go. Not chat. Share. There we go. This is this is how excellent I am. Talk amongst yourselves for a minute because uh, <laughs> yes, because te techno Steve is on the is on the case. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Here we go. Right, let's try this another way. Bum bum bum. You would believe I run puppy classes on Zoom, would you? <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I, I should, I should hire you. I mean, I have to start teaching the twentieth, a class of forty students. Wow, forty <laughs> on Zoom. Oh, so I'm going to be teaching. I'll be teaching creative nonfiction. Um, okay. Yeah. So, Natalie, did you say you said at the U? Are you at 
a university? Yeah, I'm, t- I, I'm only a HPL. I just, uh, I'm a PhD student. So they, they get you in on modules that you um, might be able oh, to great. Help. So I'm yeah doing a first year animal behavior module at the moment. Oh, great. So is this in, um, is this in psychology or is this in zoology? Um, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. We sit in um, the psychology department, but there's also a center for animal welfare. Um, oh, great. because they run a master's course as well um but it's it's actually a ba it's not a bsc it's it's about it's called animal welfare in society so there's a lot of um kind of ethics and um you know political philosophy in there which is quite interesting oh that's great this is sort of zazzy todd's area yes basically yeah 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 oh, we love zazzy zazzy's been on the podcast yeah zazzy has she's yeah she's she's lovely Right, I think I got this going now. Here we okay, go. Okay, so I'll, I'll I'll listen. Right, can you see? Oh, here we go. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, I can indeed. That's better. Here we go. Idea here from Jerry. You asked whatever happened to the sniffer dogs that were having nearly a hundred percent success. She says they're already being used in care homes in France, and she can't think of a more cost-effective and unintrusive way of checking airport arrivals. Have you ever considered them? Uh, I, th- I think I think sniffer dogs to pick things up have been uh, tried for all sorts of medical conditions, and they tend to sort of get a bit of a, 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 a interest for a while, and then then drop off because it's not a very um, effective way of doing it usually. Okay, um, why are you not recommending vitamin D C? The there we go. <laughs> Sorry about my dog playing tug in the background. Yeah, I can way. hear. I can hear. Heavy, oh, no. heavy breathing. <laughs> <laughs> heavy breathing terriers. That's nice. <laughs> Okay, so um, so there's a woman, Maria uh, Godovich, who wrote the book Doctor Dogs, and sh- that came out actually in paperback just f- about a month ago, actually November seventeenth, right. and she has been looking at COVID sniffing dogs and looking at what we're seeing and where they're being used and where they're being used most effectively. Um, uh, Norway has been deploying them already at their airports. Mm-hmm. I believe that Abu Dhabi is using them at their airports. And there's still a lot to learn. So I am not a believer in dogs being correct 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. If they're correct 100% of the time, you're n- not training them properly. You're not giving them challenging enough um, negatives or positives that are right on the edge. But what it looks like is that sweat on a COVID positive person that if the dogs are correctly trained, and in other words, they're not sniffing passengers coming in, they're having the neck wiped, for instance, with a cotton swab that goes into a back area. The dog has a number of positives and negatives and so it is actually a version of a double blind right yeah. where where it it removes all a bunch of unknowns right about why the dog might be alerting or not um is it practical if there is an immediate swab test in an airport that can work right um that's faster than a dog but when we say dogs just aren't practical, I wonder, you know, we think about all the machinery and all the people it takes to run machinery and all the ways that machinery can break down. 
Um, and dogs can be really practical. That's why we still use bomb sniffing dogs, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're better than any other method that the military and the military has money to mm -hmm. research this, right? Mm -hmm. They've spent billions on figuring out machines that are better and they simply can't come up with a better system than a good handler and that person's dog and good intelligence, right? In other words, all those three things have to be in place. And then bomb detection is up at 80 and 85%. Hmm. I mean, you, in the book, there's a, it just reminded me, that there's a fascinating uh, passage in the book where, they, where you talk about the wasp hound, which actually like completely blew my mind. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what the wasp hound is, but there's, before you go on to that, there's another, there's a, a, a bug you mentioned that actually uh, gave me nightmares when I heard about it, the kissing bug. Yeah, yeah the cone-nosed cone bugs. They're also called assassin bugs here. Oh. Um, and they're really a little bit evil. Actually, they're a beneficial insect, um, but when they bite you, they actually insert a probe and they have enzymatic spit that basically dissolves your flesh. <laughs> Lovely. So, <laughs> and they like your so, lips as well, don't they? Isn't that nice? Yeah. And so, like something off the Hunger Games. <laughs> I know it really, they're really, and the first time I met one, they look, some of them look like Pixar movie um, bugs. They're absolutely, yeah. some of them are absolutely gorgeous um, and they're not very aggressive. So the first time I took one in my hand and looked at it and then I looked it up on the web and went, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? But the, the Kunos bug, it was true that the army was trying to come up with detection machines. And again, they had money and time to experiment. And the idea was, is that cone nodes bugs, like many animals that are use CO2 exhaled by other creatures, right? Um, so that's what mosquitoes use um, or ticks, mm. right? They, they are actually attracted to the CO2 we're exhaling. And so the idea was, it was a smart idea, put them in a little machine and then they'll help detect enemy soldiers. <laughs> this was such a failure. This was like, this was one of those massive fails where you just have to go, oh my God, what were they thinking? And, <laughs> and, and one of those projects where you wish you were in the pitch meeting just to hear yeah. <laughs> how, oh, I, how ridiculous oh, I know. sounded. <laughs> But I have to tell you that that finding these old reports online was such a delight. And also talking to a couple of people who were involved in the early military dog training experiments and even the animal experiences. I got to talk to a couple of them. And, and these are fascinating people who really were trying to figure out what dogs could do. And we're really coming up with answers that went beyond the sort of the Vietnam um, have them bark if um, people come into the camp, right? <laughs> um, so, so I loved looking at what they were doing because they were really throwing a lot of imagination at it. That's what I love about scent work training as well. I think you yeah it you can let your imagination run a bit wild and you know you mentioned earlier about the conservation dogs and it's it's fascinating because basically you you could train a dog to 
um, search for any scent, you can pretty much, um, you know, put into a sample to be your training sample, can't you? Right. So if you can isolate it, mm-hmm. right, then you can train it. And even in cases where you can't isolate it, if we think about something like IEDs, right? So what are those improvised explosive devices? They are put out just before people come by to get blown up, right? They're put out and they're put out by people who are doing it fast because they're dangerous. And I expect that people are panicked. So do we know entirely that the dogs are alerting on the explosive device itself or on the adrenaline and sweat (laughs) that's transferred? And in a way we don't, and in a way it doesn't matter, right? It's like, that because stuff gets contaminated all the time. So it's really nice to think that, oh, we're only going to work with this particular scent, but inevitably it's like, there's the Q-tip and then there's the clove oil and then there's the scent of the rubber glove as you carefully put out <laughs> that little bit of clove oil and you wanna think, oh, the dog is just doing clove oil, but mostly probably not. <laughs> yeah. I think the way I think of it in my brain, because obviously we're a visual species. So a a way of explaining it or trying to kind of put yourself in the dog, I think is, is um, I I love wildlife. So if I were going um, uh, spotting orchids, for example, then I know what that specific orchid looks like, but I also know the likelihood of finding it in a certain habitat, topography you know gradient sunny spot shady spot and so all of that means that I know when I'm kind of getting close and oh there it is and that's how I kind of visualize scent for dogs I don't know if that's accurate I might just be <laughs> making it up no, in my head I mean they're, they're no I think it's so I think it's so evocative because we can't entirely know right people mm-hmm. try to build models that make the scent look like right and you know we can do smoke bombs right which yeah. presumably looks sort of like what scent looks like but mm-hmm. we can't entirely know but it's true Natalie all those things and then if you think about it I think that dogs are always the smart ones. I mean, the ones who are really driven to do this work and really love it. There's a set of intersections always at play in their heads, right? Where things overlap, right? So you, for a cadaver dog, you introduce them to something that they haven't done, right? So you introduce them perhaps to remains that are much older, like, you know, 50 years old rather than, you know, sort of more recently deceased. Um, And the dog is going to have to make a decision, right? The dog is going to say, that smells somewhat familiar. Mm. Mm. It's not exactly the thing, but, right? And then you talk about how important the timing of the handler is. And that's the moment where the handler plays a role of saying, yes, I want you to look for this as well, right? Yeah that's it you've got it so that that moment of hesitation turns into yeah into reward and then and then then it's hardwired a little bit not hardwired but the fact is is that the the dog incorporates that Mm -hmm. and i think that the same is true when we you know you talk about looking for an orchid where experienced dogs get to know 
where scent is going to tend to be strongest. So they're not just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They're also saying, I know if I get low on a cold day or get higher Mm. on a warm day, I'm going to have a better chance of capturing Mm -hmm. scent. Not all dogs work that way, but I've seen really experienced ones where you see them doing things just it's their body memory right like your memory of when you get very familiar with a particular orchid you you know where to look for it i think the same is true with dogs and scent yeah i there's something i actually i went out again this is how much of a fanboy i can be i went out and bought this book Uh, (laughs) that is the that is the classic (laughs) you know i mean there's been more has come out oh sure because it's 1972 we were talking about something that before yeah 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 yeah. was the was was sort of the beginning of people really starting to think about this in ways that were good for dogs Mm. too right and just not making stuff up Right. I should probably say, because this is a, a, an audio thing, that the book I held up is Scent and the Scenting Dog by William G. Sorotuk. And uh, yeah. You got it. 1972. Still in print. 1972. <laughs> uh, a, there's a brilliant bit in the book, actually, isn't there, where um, Nancy, where you first go to Nancy Hook. Is it Nancy Hook? It's Nancy yes. Hook. Yeah, yeah, Nancy Hook. Yes. Um, there's some fantastic characters in this book, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. That's another great reason to go and buy it. But Nancy's, <laughs> one, of, Nancy's one of the fantastic characters in the book. Um, real life, of course. Um, she tells you when you start down the very first day, maybe it was the, of the scent of the cadaver dog training, don't go and read about it. Don't look it up or don't do anything. So immediately what you did was go and read about it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> go and get a book. Of course. <laughs> I, I do remember uh, Nancy was at a party some years later um, and we were talking and I do remember the exact quote because when she says something, it just sticks in my mind. And she said, <laughs> I never thought in a million years, little hippie yuppie that you were, that you take me seriously. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, love yeah, everyone's got someone in their life that just don't mince their words. That is just <laughs> yeah. the salt of the earth kind of like character. Yes. And yeah, it really comes across in the writing of the book. So, something I did want to ask you actually, Kat, while I remembered, um, we we don't so a lot of the books obviously where we deal in a lot of pet dog training behavior that kind of thing and and this might be the first time I think I'm saying that where we kind of crossed over a little bit into police dog handling and obviously you've researched a yeah, lot of military maybe, dog stuff. Um, Jane's mission control. Yeah, she does gun dog work. So we've done sort of gun gun doggy stuff. So we've okay. dipped our toe a bit, but definitely first, yeah, military stuff. And, and yeah. And right. what I wanted to ask was, um, I guess because I guess it was a while ago, wasn't it? So I guess training training's come away a, a since since you were training solo. Um, uh, uh, it, was it really male dominated when when you went into it? Was it you know, was the training methods um, a lot different? I can imagine sort of like it's become more positive um, reinforcement based as it's moved on. I just thought that might be an interesting thing to explore. You know. Um... It depends. It depends on the police department. It depends on the canine unit. It depends so much on whether, for instance, they're training things like bite work at the same time. Um, It has gotten more positive. They are still not at where, for instance, Finzi or other sort of 
you know, there's no such thing as purely positive. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Mm -hmm. there, but it's, it's very difficult. I would say as a general rule, of course, that law enforcement and military still tends to be male dominated. Mm. Um, I would say that the training over the last decade has gotten much more positive. When I was training with Mike Baker, and this is just an example. So when I was training with Mike Baker, um, it was positive with Solo in terms of how you reward, how you let him search, right? Mm. But that that was a point where corrections, like leash corrections, were just standard mm. operating procedure. And I think it's interesting for people to think about a little bit about the fact that it there is this continuum, right? Mm. And people during the course of their dog training lives can fall on different points of the continuum and they change, right? Mm -hmm. I'm training yeah. Rev in a very different way for obedience and everything else than I trained solo. I mean, training has changed. And for me, it's because I've learned more and I can do better, right? And it's also because training has evolved so much in the last decade. When we think about people like Ken Ramirez, mm. right, and and where clicker training has right learning that how you train dolphins, right, or how you train a rhinoceros mm. is a great way to train a dog as well, right. And I think that some of these insights are really sinking in. Mm. Um, but if you think about the fact Kong. Um, Kong was a pet company, but Kong is also a working dog company, right? So the Kong is the standard reward for so many working dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. Maybe right. not a fluffy parrot version that we can get now for our pet <laughs> dogs. <laughs> so let, let's have a let's have a little chat about um, about solo then, because um, obviously. I mean, the book is a testament to your journey. I, I, I just, it was thrilling reading it. I love as well, there's so, so many parts of it that I love, but I love the, I could choose my words correctly here. Um, almost the, the desperation when Solo came into your life, you know, there was that, there was the, the passage where you're, you're crying in your husband's arms and, and you know, you know, what have we let ourselves into? I think we can all relate to that as dog Definitely owners. <laughs> and I, I love that later on in the book as well, you're all, um, uh, my favorite quote, I, I did say that I, I laughed at this book. I, there I had wow moments and there was a moment that brought a little tear to my eye. And I think later on in the book, I'm right in saying that um, you said that when, when you were going to do it the next time, you'd get it all done right. Um, and I think it was Mike Baker you might have been talking to, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said something along the lines of, yeah, I won't make any of the same mistakes again. And Mike has, um, it's a, oh, I'll be hammering the quote. Let me see if I, I remember find. what he said. Oh, go on then. If you I, if I had, yes, if I had in front of me every dog I've trained, I'd apologize to each of them. I thought that was lovely. I thought, you know, not, was, not because not you, should, you have to apologize to your dog, but it's a lovely, it's a real human, like, part of it. You know, you know, we all make mistakes from time to time. We all learn. We're constantly learning. And yeah, it brought a little tear to my eye, that did, I must admit. Yes. Yeah, so, and, I, you know, actually, I still 
it's that notion too. I mean, this is the wonderful thing about dogs. I mean, they're not cookie cutter, right? Mm -hmm. You get a new dog and you have to be open to changing the entire way you train that particular dog mm -hmm. because the approach that worked with a prior dog won't work with this one. Mm -hmm. And Rev is a great example. My current German Shepherd, he's quite sensitive. He, you know, um, Solo, <laughs> so Solo didn't care really about anything. Solo couldn't really be corrected because it just didn't matter to him. Mm. So in a way, any of that was in vain, right? Raising my my voice, whatever. With, with Rev, it's different, right? And so in a way, I take more time with him and he's coming along amazingly, but I couldn't make the mistakes I made with Solo with Rev without having a dog that's completely shut down, mm. right? And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that at this stage of my life, I've got this dog where I know that he's got a ton of potential, but I also know that I have to be a careful handler, yeah. and a thoughtful handler. Yeah, and, and Solo was a, what we call a singleton as well, um, yes. which obviously, uh, throws up some unique challenges as well. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, early socialization um, and, and things along those lines. Yes, I mean, his breeder, Joan, with whom I'm still friends, actually, we, we communicate several times a week. Um, Joan went around and worked hard to find a litter that was of comparable age to place him with. I mean, she tried very hard because she kind of knew what his future might be. Uh, as a singleton, just because of dog aggression and just not learning dog language. And he never spoke dog, right? He would sometimes set aside, right, his lack of comfort for, if he was training or something, but it, it was always more of an effort for him mm. uh, to look at a dog and go, I'm not going to go over. I mean, I remember doing searches with him still pretty when he was really experienced, like he was six years old and like a fawn in a swamp would not be a problem, but a tied up chow chow in the yard somewhere would be, right? <laughs> it's like, hey buddy. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant, and and he and and you found yourself with Nancy because you, oh, desperation is that the right word? But just the, oh, I yes. need to, I would need to be doing something um, because he was exhibiting reactive behaviours to other dogs. Yes, and I, you know, I have to say, I I did not. I tried really hard to tell the truth in this book, and there were so many points when I thought this is not we can't do this. This is not what I signed up for. This is, you know, I mean, there were times that were just terrible. Mm. And one of the things that we know better about now, but when he was still fairly young, we made the decision to neuter him, which as new science is coming forth, we're learning that that really doesn't necessarily help these kinds of problems at all. Right. Mm -hmm. But at that point, we were looking at all the things that we could do. Um, and so, again, it's interesting to watch, think about in retrospect, um, you know, the things you throw to see if anything will stick right <laughs> on the wall of how can I change this behavior? Um, 
yeah, there were a lot of tears. Yeah, uh, you're desperate for those magic wand moments as well, aren't you? So when, you know, if you've read somewhere or you're quite often vets advise this sort of stuff still to this day, don't they, about nutrient and things like that, you, you're like, brilliant, that's it. Book them in, let's that's, get it we're done. We're going to do know. that. Yeah. yeah, and you don't do it without consultation and then you do yeah. it, you know, sort of, it, it's not like it's the first resort or the second resort, but it you think, oh, well, right? And now we have enough scientific studies that we can know that, that's not straightforward um, at all. But it's 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 natural to want a kind of easier solution, isn't it? I mean, that's why there's a massive industry of nutraceuticals and supplements and goodness knows what else that people are clutching at that you know might help with the problems they're experiencing. CBD oil, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, CBD oil <laughs> fix all of it. It's always one. <laughs> and don't think that, for instance, the CBD oil is a really interesting thing, right? Yeah. Because I seriously considered it for Jocko mm. with his epilepsy, because there is some yeah, there evidence is. that yeah, it yeah. may it may really help. But the problem is, is that at what point do you reduce the drugs that mm. keep him from having a seizure while you experiment with CBD oil to see if that helps? It's such an interesting yeah. problem. Yeah, this is the kind of the, the homeopathy argument like with like, I mean, obviously homeopathy has got little to no evidence at all of it working, but but people will take, you know, uh, will come off of cancer medication to go on to something like that. And then, you know, and then, well, we all know what happens then. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a it's a conundrum. It is a conundrum. Yeah, yeah. It is. So, so uh, can you talk us through, because there's, there's a, brilliant part in the book where um so you've gone you've trained so you tra you worked as a volunteer with the durham right. police force was there a couple of different ones was it or, or trained as a volunteer over so over the over the course of working with solo which was eight years mm -hmm. that he maybe eight and a half years right so i trained him from the time he was about four months but for eight and a half years we we went out on on searches and I trained both with the Durham Sheriff and with the Durham Police Department. And um, very often there would be seminars where other people would come in, other police departments, right? So I got that opportunity and then um, search and rescue seminars. Um, although to a lesser extent, partly because um, it can be harder to control a dog aggressive dog in the context of search and rescue seminars. Mm, yeah. As advanced as he was, <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, with the police, it's always, it's, they're always very careful. Uh, they, they kind of assume that their dogs have an edge, right? So that made it easier in some ways. So I was really fortunate and, and um, uh, I kind of, it, it was a time and place thing where I got to learn a lot and watch a lot of dogs work. So what, what was that feeling like when you got your, when you went out on your first real, real life search? I was scared to death. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. I was scared to death and you know, that, that very first search and we didn't find anything on that search, mm. but was it was uh, the rumors and why we went there is that it was drug related and it was a brutal murder. And mm. so, um, I was so nervous that I didn't bring anything to reward Solo on. 
So nine out of 10 times when you're on an actual search, you're not going to find something. And so you're preparing for those fully, as you say, negative, right, results um, by getting the dog used to working longer and longer periods of time. But, you know, um, I, you know, I got out of the, I got done with the search and, and I realized that I hadn't brought any training material to give Solo a nice, good find and reward. And, um, <laughs> and I remember calling Mike and Mike gave me a little lecture about, um, <laughs> so you didn't bring his paycheck and you expect him to keep working for you. <laughs> <laughs> Trainers love an analogy. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, that labor analogy stuck with yeah. me and it yeah. was like, yes, I, yeah, I never did that again. Um, well, so. I think it must've been easy to, you know, let things slip your mind if you, I can imagine running through what I might find. Yeah, you, you do that. And then I did get a little more disciplined as time went on, right? Because of the realization of it's not a very good way for the dog to have a good experience. Yeah. Right? yeah, if, yeah. if, if, if you're yeah. kind of freaked out, tentative, not calm in, you know, I am not a Zen person at all. You may have noticed that, <laughs> but one of the, one of the most important things for the dog is that every time you go out to train or to search that you're making it a happy experience for mm -hmm. them and a, you know, don't let your emotions run down the leash. Right. So yeah. I, I did get better at that. And yeah. there, there's a uh, we have talked about it already, but um, the the passage where you do find your first or solo finds the first um, body. I had, when, as I was reading it, it's the the way you've written it is really. I, I used the word beautiful. I did. I don't know if that's the right words to use. I'm not great at grabbing the right kind of words, but it's it's so it's it's matter of fact. It's descriptive and it's respectful. Is that the right? I'm not sure if that's the right kind of thing, but it was very. I kind of, I could feel the mindset you might have been in at the time that you were doing it. It was obviously something you feel, obviously, something really passionate about. And I, and I thought a lot, I thought a lot about that search and continued to think a lot about that search. Mm. Um, that was not a nice person who was out there. Um, we knew several things, right? We knew that he was probably deceased. We knew, you know, where he had entered the area. And I think that, um, I, I, I don't know how to express this clearly. Every search has potentially someone who's deceased at the end of the search, right? So you already know that. And the fact is, is whether that person is a very good person or not so good a person or a child or right all of those things are possible or somebody with alzheimer's mm. and so it's good to remember that this is just the person who's gone mm. right and um you know and his family and his friends and his girlfriend were there at the beginning of the search and um and they were heartbroken, right? Um, their loved one 
was, they knew by then, out there somewhere and gone, right? So I still do think of those things. It's true that there may be a difference between um, an abused and murdered girlfriend versus somebody who was in a gang who was killed because of drugs. But at the end of the day, um, all of them were human. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. And, and I always remember that. And the weight of the, the story that came before that end point as well, you know, all of these things that you, you kind of have to consider. And it actually reminded me of um, something that, again, when you read this book, you, you hear things and you're like, well, that makes perfect sense, but I never would have put put this together. Um, the fact that the phrases you use to go and find something or the cues you give to your dog to go look, they have to be carefully picked because who's listening, who's over there listening to what you're saying, you know, you don't want to... You don't want to make it into a frivolous affair or anything like that. I thought oh, that was fascinating. And actually, I'm doing a little bit of scent work with my dog, Peaches. I told you about my Newfoundland and I cat. Um, and in honor of you and Solo, we're using Go Fish as the uh, as the as the cue. <laughs> it's lovely. It's a it's a nice neutral thing. I mean, and I do have a friend, and her dog just got the American Kennel Club Hero Dog Award. Wow! Because Susie Goodhope and her Belgian Malinois um, Shiraz, um, Susie's cue is find Hoffa. Which is for Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, Jimmy. See? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things where where it, there's a little bit of amusement, but it's actually not disrespectful. Yeah. Right. Um, and and so, and it's not. It's also true that not there's not that many times that a family is going to be there. There are certainly, especially when you've got a dog that's doing water searches, that that may well be the, the case, that if you're going out on a water search, that the family is on shore mm. watching what happens. So, um, yes. But yeah. I, I, I think find the fish or go fish is a, um, a, a perfectly neutral <laughs> Well, one of my dogs is actually called Fish. Yeah, I did think so. about that when I, when I was saying it. <laughs> so, maybe, so you just say Fish, Fish. Yeah. And it's like, go, go fishing. <laughs> is it, um, uh, in, your, in one of the bios that I was reading today, I love that you've, there's a quote here saying, I blame Solo for this book because he didn't eat my homework. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it's really, I mean, it's really true. And it's, it's one of those things when you think about, and I think that we all have had this experience where a dog has shifted the way we live, right? Mm. Where because of who and what that dog is, that our lives change to some degree. And, you know, the case is, is that Solo was one of those dogs that made my life sort of do a 180, Right. Because I actually don't think I would have been driven to write this book without that dog. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, he kind of opened all these new doors and worlds to me at a time when I thought that he was actually going to shut things down for me. Yeah. Right? Wow. That the problem dog became not a problem, but a kind of wonderful solution. 
They got, we it doesn't always happen, let's face it. No, no. <laughs> it doesn't but... always happen, but it's so good to and refreshing to, you know, be open about struggling with a dog. You know, that happens to us to us all and um experts and beginners alike. So uh I think it's it's great that like Steve said, that you've written so honestly about um how he you know changed your life basically and made you tear your hair out <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes a so it takes the other thing is it takes character to 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 turn with the dog do you know what i mean rather than fight you find yourself in that forever battle with them to to you know i mean be it luck judgment however it is we find our way to these places that like you found your way to nancy or whatever it might be um you know to actually go with it you know, rather than, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, giving up. There's, there's a time and there is a place for giving up. Of course there is. But, you know, to to look at it that different way, to flip it on its head and say, right, well, can I can I find an outlet for this? And it and could it be something that changes my my life, like opening the doors, like, you know, in, in that respect? And again, I'll reiterate. Right. No, yes. No, I know. I think it's that's such a super point. Um, the thing is, is that nobody should assume that I'm actually emotionally mature. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so the fact is, is that, you know, that moment of me being wise about solo uh, was really, um, there's been plenty of times that I've made really bad decisions about yeah. dogs and dog training. And I think that we all do, right? I think that yeah. we have these failures. Um, and actually, if I think back about um, what a forgiving dog he was, right, that all the times I made mistakes, mm. right, where another dog would have just said, oh, F you, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. 100%. Well, we're coming up to the hour mark, and I'm, I'm um, well aware that um, you've given us loads of your time i could listen to you talk all day long i'll be honest yeah with you. it's been fantastic oh this is really fun and you you know i was in a search committee meeting this morning so this is truly <laughs> truly have we been a nicer bit of light relief then <laughs> okay i wanted to just finish up on talking a little bit about gardening it's another passion of yours gardening and um i've um i've uh uh recently found uh, a love for gardening through my wife and there being lockdowns and not being anything else to do other than go into our garden and do stuff um i just i just wanted to talk about I, for me it's been really really beneficial and i've really enjoyed you were talking about sort of environments and things i remember when we were allowed out for walks because i started identifying things like i've never done this before i'm a i'm a your standard man you know just wandering around not paying attention to anything stuff. there's some stuff there right and there's some stuff yeah. over there it's green i had this lovely moment on a walk down towards the beach at summertime where i i noticed the smell of wild honeysuckle like i noticed it like i actually like oh my god that's what i know what that is and then a little way further down the line i noticed the smell of uh, i think they're called dog roses i can't remember but yeah i noticed the smell of them as well and um yeah just uh, i find it amazing for, for mindfulness and getting to know these things and and yeah all of that good stuff so so yeah i wondered uh, you could you share a story about gardening how, how it affects your life 
It's a gardening you podcast know, now. <laughs> I tell you, what what affected my life most was that I broke my arm this summer. Oh, and so, uh, yes, I'd never broken anything. I It wasn't on my bucket list, but it happened anyway. <laughs> was, and, Rev, um, was Rev involved or was it not dog related? Of course, Rev was involved. It wasn't his, it wasn't his fault, though. I mean, he, it was literally pulling very slightly on a leash going down a... Uh, concrete boat ramp with yeah. lots of loose gravel oh. on top of the concrete so you know the marble effect you can yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you can now share war yeah. stories like in that famous scene in jaws with joe biden can you <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's your that's your way in <laughs> oh and he's got shepherds and he's bad got shepherds. stuff yes bad stuff happens quick that's that's what we know and you know this is why we call them accidents yeah. <laughs> um but my so part of it is is that my husband um likes to cook but as he pointed out early in terms of gardening he'd rather harvest than actually garden right yeah, so yeah. But the thing is, is that um, there are these things that we love to grow and garlic is his oh, thing, yeah. winter garlic. So the winter garlic is out there and, um, you know, it's one of those great pleasures. And I do what I love, the only thing, there are things to love about COVID. And I think that a couple of them are this um, taking time right? This is the William Blake, right? The universe in a grain of sand that a a lot of people have had this experience of looking at things close to home more closely, right? Um, And I think that that's happened that so many people have found the joy, right? Of looking at things and knowing what they are. but I'll always remember my now deceased father, whom I adored and who was the kindest of men. But he visited me in Illinois when I was a graduate student. Um, and we were walking around the campus at University of Illinois. Um, and he pointed to a tree and said, Kathy, what's that? And I looked and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> So here's this man who's lived in Oregon and California all his life. He said, that's a black locust. You need to learn to identify the things in your environment. (laughs) (laughs) And he was so kind. He, He, this was somebody who almost never raised his voice and was so, but it was such a lesson, right? That it, that learning to be able to name things and to see things and to smell things, right? And that's what dogs are good for too, is they, they, they will make you slow down if you let them do that. And that is a little like insight into that world as well, isn't it? Because I, yeah. when, when that honeysuckle incident, I was literally, I've seen my dog do this loads of times. You're walking along and then you sort of, oh, hang on, what's that? And you come back to where the smell is. Yeah, it's a little insight. There's a lovely walk that we go on sometimes. Um, and we used to do it a lot more when we only had Jack. Um, and on the banks of a river, do you do you have wild garlic where you live? Yes, we do. We do. And and mm-hmm. so before it flowers, um, Jack would run along the bank, and it would just, you know, ruffle the leaves, so it makes mm. all the aroma come up, and it's just the most amazing smell, wild garlic, because it grows in such yeah. massive clumps. So we've got loads of it here now as well. Um, That's wonderful. Lovely. Yeah. So really emotive. Good. And and then. When it flowers, 
but also really there's nothing like smell as well so if, if, if a dog's world is anything like this there's nothing like smells to take you to a point in time like i mean i'm a massive yeah. music fan there's some some songs i can hear i can remember where i was the moment when yes. i heard it even yes. if it's the most ridiculous place but also smells you know um they're just so emotive and they really unlock your memories and and things so imagine i if think they, the dogs they like that all do the time. yeah the dogs like that all the time and you know and and just one thing that I became so much more aware of when I was doing the research for this book was how 19th century physicians totally depended on smell. They had a, they had entire sheets devoted to here's what di a diabetic person will smell like. This is what, and, and they literally had lists, right? The smell of rotten apples denotes a particular disease, right? Um, and, and, and it was interesting going through those because that was a time where doctors were using more than one sense to yeah. diagnose, right? Mm. It's like, good on them. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Fascinating. So this was a delight. It's so it nice is, meeting yeah. both of you. Thank you so much. You tonight, Kat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, and I know it's getting late on your end too, so. Oh, I'm going to go and have my dinner now. Yeah, go ahead. Good. Yes, it's. Oh, yes, it's like eight. It's like almost eight thirty. Ah, uh, it's all right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Oh, grateful. it was a treat, really, truly, yeah, and the really nice meeting you, Natalie, and yeah, you and Steve. Thank you. No problem. All right. I'll let you know right, when the podcast cat. is out. Bye bye. Yeah. Great. Bye bye. There we go then, Cat Warren. I love that. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, we um, we totally uh, went places we've never been before, talking about things we've never talked about before. Um, wow, just gonna go, go wow. Can I go wow? Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. I mean, aren't we lucky, mate? We get to read these wonderful books and speak to these wonderful people, yeah. and hopefully get to you know share a new world of scent and cadaver dogs to our lovely listeners i feel infused that's what i feel like no my, most of the time when i when i end these podcasts i just want to I, I have this nervous energy about me which is like oh me too i yeah. want to be going out and doing but no it's always evening so i can't go out anywhere so then i sit there and just the, the nervous energy I have to spill out to the rest of the week and then my wife has to listen uh, do to me what, do what i do and make yourself a to-do list of work you were, I saw you feverishly writing down things. Uh, have you written down some yeah. stuff to, to, to got, investigate? I'll tell you what, if, 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 that, if my list is anything to go for, then if we didn't already have some people lined up for 2021, then we would have now because I've got some... There are some interesting folks, up. wasn't there, mentioned Dr. there? Dr. Dogs. I'm looking that up. <laughs> right, I believe we have got a sack full of questions, Nat. Indeed. A whole Thank blooming you. sack full. <laughs> Should we go and answer you. some? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Question, 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 question. Oh, what's in your questions bag, Matt? We've had loads. We've had lots of activity on our Facebook group, which is lovely. We yeah. always love hearing from y'all. Really good, really good. Um, okay, so I'm going to pick these at random. Uh, Diane Beach asks, if you were a dog, what breed of dog would you be and why? Ooh. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, it is a good question. What breed of dog? Uh, 
Um, I think I would be a overweight. <laughs> That's the only characteristic I could definitely, definitely say. I'd be slightly overweight, uh, uh, greying around the muzzle. Um, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Chinese crested. Oh, nice. <laughs> only, only because I'm... That kind of half bald, half Yeah, hairy, only but... because I'm balding. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be the, that would be the appropriate dog to Our choose. Our friend Katie will like that because she's a, a Chinese crested enthusiast yeah yeah there so you go. Uh, i'm sure she'll adopt you adopt you <laughs> but, I'm, but i'm a podgy one <laughs> i've got quite skinny arms and legs as well so that would actually fit quite well um yeah yeah that's all i'm going for okay um i think i would probably be kind of some big shaggy Anatolian shepherd that nice. just sort of is a bit grumpy with people and just aloof and a loner. <laughs> I love the fact that you're reactive. And I live in the field. <laughs> yeah, I live in the field with all of my sheep and goats. Ah, uh, yeah, I could see you doing that. I could yeah. see you doing that. Good answer. Good answer. Oh, I now I want to know what what everyone. Would be yeah maybe well maybe we should put it up we should put that up we should good question great question yeah well, well done. done diane thank you for that i got that hopefully i haven't okay. put the image of me as a fat chinese <laughs> crested into your head too much <laughs> <laughs> um right we've got a really interesting one from kelly okay so one of my dogs gets a toy and rags it round when i get home one of the others will sometimes um do the same after a walk I'm assuming that's a displacement behaviour because she's excited. Would you let her or would you interrupt her by scattering treats or something? I like to encourage calm, but some stress excitement is an un- unavoidable part of life, I guess. Hmm. Mm. Very interesting. Um, I love displacement behaviours. Ever since we talked about them with your, with your little mice when you, were, little when mouse, you were getting them up yeah. with your little mice. So what, what do you think? What do you think about this? I would say that... Um, I, I would say it's probably not a displacement behavior because a displacement behavior is something that you w- would do in a normal repertoire out of context. Yeah, so ragging um, a toy is not particularly out of context yeah, in the so house, if, maybe. I don't know. If they went and uh, sat by their bowl, that might be a bit bit weird. Mm. I think this is just um, a general um, coping mechanism um and rather than it being stress it's you stress it's good stuff so i know that there's so much stuff out there about encouraging calm Mm. which is is good but we can't all be zen like creatures wandering around sipping herbal tea god no have some fun and i think um i would i wouldn't even give it a second thought you know what i would celebrate it because Kelly, what I think is probably happening is your dog is going, oh, my God, mum's home, or, oh, we're home. And yeah. rather than jumping around and chewing the skirting boards or, you know, grabbing the remote control and running around, they're going, well, I'm excited. And what do I do when I'm excited? I grab my toy and I play with it. Which so, actually uh, Kelly kind of alludes to in the email, doesn't she? So, yeah, so I think you yeah. kind of... So you know, I, would, I would go for it. I think unless it's causing any problems with, with your other dogs, um, 
you know, it's certainly something that I have encouraged with my guys so that when they're excited, they can all go and find a toy and and have the toy in their mouth mm. rather than each other <laughs> in their mouth <laughs> or you know my scarf that i'm trying to take off or whatever um so i i think it sounds like uh your dog has has trained themselves really well to cope with an exciting situation and sounds like fun uh, you know, yeah yeah without knowing more i think i i wouldn't worry about it too much there we go there yeah. we go next you happy with that I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I can imagine when when she was describing it, I could actually imagine you. Uh, you've got a certain laugh you do when dogs do stuff, and you have a like. Uh, you have oh a God, have that. I? I can imagine. It's good. It's a good laugh. Um, yeah. uh, but I imagined you doing it. So I was. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I imagine you just having a laugh. <laughs> it's an atism. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Okay, this one's for you, puppy man. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite way to empower owners to take on introducing grooming at home from puppies to adults? Oh, that's a good question. Um, this is such a good question and it's very poignant at the moment, actually, because uh, to empower... So read it again. To empower owners to... Uh, take on introducing grooming. How would I empower someone to, you know what, like dog training, especially if you're doing classes, working with puppies and things like that, a lot, so much of it is people training and how mm-hmm. to get people to, first of all, understand some of these lofty concepts. I mean, it might seem like really easy to you as someone that's a real big dog geek, but trying to put the point across, me and Corin were talking about this today with with teaching uh, swaps and confidence around food and things like that, is that we often see in classes that people don't, it's not a problem till it's a problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. trying to put it across, but so you know, to be proactive instead of reactive. I think that's that's the one hundred million pound question. I'll be honest. Um, how would I empower them? For me, it's all about knowledge, um, and and how you put it across. Um, I. We love an analogy. We like to sort of like, you know, tell a story, use an example, something like that. But these ones, like things about um, things about handling, grooming, all of those kind of things are so, they're so, so important to get going from an early age. Because, of course, a lot of us trainers that have been around the block a little bit have seen the, the fallout from dogs that aren't happy with having nails clipped and being groomed mm-hmm. and stuff. So... So yeah, it's um, how do I empower him? I think you got to take a simple, you got to be a bit sympathetic first of all, and understand that it is a concept that some people are going to be like, my dog loves being stroked. I can touch their paw whenever I like. It's great. They love it. Um, and then then you've got to you've got to empower them with knowledge. You've just got to say you've got to say why it's so important. Um, you know how you break it down into small chunks. That's really important as well. Breaking these things down into tiny little chunks. If you've got a few analogies in your back pocket or something you can do. And I always try and keep it, you know, without wanting to sound like David Brent. <laughs> I was trying to try and keep it fun, you know. Um, and there's no reason why you it has to be all, you know, well, and if you don't do that, this is going to happen. And if you don't do that, this is going to happen. I think, you know, um, try not to be a fun sponge as well. So empower. <laughs> Debbie Downer. Yeah, don't be a Debbie Downer. Um, empower them through... The knowledge, first of all, obviously um, empathizing that you understand um, and a little bit of a little bit of uh, 
uh, story if you got one that can help push push the point across and then yeah yeah go for it like that I guess it it's a good question it's something that we're all I well I'm always striving to work out the best way to do things and like I said only today we were talking about a similar thing with you know do we need to readdress how we approach things like swapping and confidence mm-hmm. around food and things like that it's hard isn't it and it I think hard. you know if if only teaching your dog to be okay with being brushed was as glamorous as um in the in the general public's eyes mm. i mean it was as glamorous as a rollover yeah you know yeah uh, and and of course yeah you you're up against it straight away because the big hitters when 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 joe public comes in and, and you know rightly so they don't you know or a lot of the time they're, they're not sure what dog training is that sounds really I don't mean it to come out across like you don't understand what dog training is, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so you get like the big hitters are like, how do I stop my dog jumping all over me? Uh, stop my dog biting me. I want it to leave things when I shout leave at it. Uh, you know, I'm going to yeah. need it to walk on a loose lead in four days and I need a perfect recall because I'm going away to Dorset in a week. Uh, is that okay? Yeah. Um, so, you know, concepts like, you know, preventing resource guarding, grooming, handling, all of those things. It's right from the get-go, you're on the back foot a little bit. Mm. it is difficult it is difficult yeah it's tricky and I don't think anyone has a perfect answer it's just keeping having those conversations and yeah um taking things to class like when we can do classes like brushes and you, you know yeah. all that doing all the desensitization stuff I've got Stan um, I've got Stan the stooge that we do little demos Stan with the stooge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it is important though. So important, really, really important. Because I've got um, little Penny R. Jack Russell is not a fa- not a fan of being handled. Um, obviously, we're uh, we work on it a lot, but she she one of my favourite phrases just benevolently kind of puts up with it now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and conditioning that emotional response. I'm not sure if the ship sailed a little bit with her. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Um, it is hard. But yeah, you know, um, so that so that that's an example that I bring up. You know, if I if I had a puppy right now, I've got the opportunity to to help that not happen. Not saying it still wouldn't happen because you know, yeah, every puppy is an individual. But you've got the opportunity to do some some quite simple things as well. That's a, I guess empowering them would be. That's another good point as I go around to empower someone. Maybe I'd empower them with the knowledge that it actually isn't that difficult. You don't have yeah. to spend hours doing it. It's these little bits here and there really will add up. Um, yeah. So that's something else, maybe. Yeah. And that it's it's their role to do. It's not the role of a groomer. You know, mm. we see a lot of, of um, dogs that have just sort of been dropped off and traumatised by yeah. their first grooming experience. Yeah. But... Yeah, that happens a lot. That does happen a lot. Always alarm bells. Like I always say to clients, like you know, ask you know, ask if you can sit in on the first session, and if uh, mm. if they say no, then take your business elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it doesn't even you can they can be traumatized by nothing particularly bad happening at a groomers as well. It, it, it's, you know, it's a yeah. it's a big it's topic. The environment, the environment of it, really. Yeah. Um, Okay, right. We've got a uh, thank you, Emma. That was a good, good, good question. Um, yeah, good question. From Diana here. This is going to probably be a, uh, oh, we don't know unless we know more question. But she's asking, how much dog sport is too much in your opinion? If there's no lockdown, I do regularly, at least once a week, agility, fly ball, canny cross and trick training with my 
16 months old Irish Terrier. I was wondering whether it might be too much. She seems to enjoy them and she does have at least one rest day a week. Thanks very much for your input. Yeah, um, yeah, that, uh, I'd need a bit more information. How old's the dog? Yeah. You know, all, of, all of those sorts of things. Um, uh, for me, who likes to just sit on a sofa, uh, <laughs> any dog sport is too much. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's a, yeah, that is a toughie. That's a tough one to answer, isn't it? Um, I guess. Well, the- I would say, you know, if, if you're thinking about it, Diana, then maybe you're the best person to answer it, really. I mean, yeah. think about why you're doing these sports. Is it for you? Is it for your dog? Is it for building a partnership? Mm. And um, if you feel that maybe um, it might be a bit too much, then swap it up and do something slightly yeah. different. And, Dial it down a bit. Um, yeah, it. I, I certainly think that activities like that can be really positive for relationship building and just general training. Yeah. But it depends how the classes are run and, and, and on the dog and the handler. And, and there's almost too many variables to be able to say um, yes or no, really, isn't there? So sorry, that's not a very good a very good answer for you. Although this would be a good episode to listen to, me. wouldn't it? Because um, yeah. Because obviously, you know, working dogs and how much, the, you know, depending on, you know, yeah. the, the type of dog, what's, what, what they like to enjoy. Like you say, saying, with peach and swimming. Um, yeah. She gets tired quick when she's swimming. She really, really does. Um, yeah. Bless her. Um, but we go every two weeks. We haven't been for a while because of the old COVIDs. I don't yeah. know if you've heard, but there's some sort of global pandemic yeah. going on. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, but when we're allowed to go, yeah, every two weeks. Um, that seems to, seems to be a good a good one perhaps. Um, yeah well maybe we can ask Kat how much she would do training and stuff and, that's a uh, good point that is a really yes. good point yeah yeah uh, well thank you very much for that question yeah, as well you, very good um okay so we've got a couple more um Greg has asked two questions mm-hmm. one is um He's got several inches of snow outside. He's just showing off, basically. That he's <laughs> and we haven't. We've got rain. My um, snow's bigger than your snow. <laughs> yeah. So he's asking, what what is our dog's favourite weather? Oh. You go first with your two girlies. Well, as far as I'm aware, Pete has never seen snow. So I was really crossing my fingers to to yeah. we were going to get some sort of something, some some snow that actually laid. Because I think it would be loads of fun going out. I think she'd be hilarious. Oh my goodness, she'd look amazing as well. Exactly. Um, Penny. Um, Penny likes to be warm, so she likes a sunny day. Um, she can find a spot in the sun or in the absence of sun, press her bum against a radiator. Um, <laughs> she's a happy girl trying to steal any warmth that you might have. Um, so definitely sunny. Um, Peach, I think I think we, we hit a, a golden spot with Peach, which was kind of like right at the end of summer when it just started turning into autumn, where she yeah. stopped panting like every time she just moved one muscle and actually became really really quite lively um uh and i think yeah i think she struggles in the heat obviously so we're really careful with her in the heat um super super careful i was what i was looking at photos of um summer had such a lovely summer this year didn't we um yeah and uh as I remember the, you know, it was a constant concern of like, oh God, you know, what time of day are we going to take her out? You know, is yeah. she, where, where is she now? Is she laying in the garden? We get her back in, get the cool mat out, get them play with the water, you know, all of, all of that sort of stuff. So 
So yeah, it's quite nice now the summer's gone that she's quite relaxed. Last night she she used to go out definitely in summer. She's going in the garden and just lay on the concrete slabs when it was cool. But last night she did the same thing. So it was pretty cold out there last night. So, um, so bless her. She she likes to be cool. That girl. Yeah, I think I'd say the same for the wolf. Um, he likes being quite cool. Um, fish and mouse, yeah, they need warmth all the time. And grew actually, they're all sunbathers. Uh, mouse, I have to actually bring in from the sun sometimes because she's she's just lying in direct sunlight, hyperventilating. <laughs> um, like you know when dogs pant so much, they their tongues make that clicky noise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She does that. That's all she does all yeah. summer. Um, yeah, Jack's more, a bit hardy. He he likes torrential rain and mud, and he everybody else runs under to the shelter in the field when it suddenly <laughs> chucks it down, and he just he's in his own element. He'd just be wandering around, um, wondering why we're all sat shivering. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, I hope yeah. your dogs are enjoying the snow anyway, Greg. Yeah, send some photos. Yeah, yes, yes, please. Um, and his um, his uh, last question was, um, because it's part of a gif, which Greg <laughs> is, Greg the gif man, um, is mayonnaise an instrument? Yeah, I actually, I, I, I did put on this, I do actually have an answer for this because um, this is twofold, this answer. There is, if you look on YouTube for is mayonnaise an instrument there's a guy i think he's called dj kaboom or something like that who right. who took the question that was famously asked in a sponge in an episode of spongebob yep. squarepants SpongeBob. Yeah. by patrick who is actually aptly we um peach's nickname is patrick um <laughs> because that's totally her personality um uh and he went he's there's a little video of him he goes and he buys a a jar of mayonnaise and then he samples the sound of tapping the jar and also squatching a squatching squidging squidging a, like a spoon inside it and then he makes a kind of a track out of it like an edm sort of like track um, wow. so if you like dance music and you like mayonnaise go and check that out um <laughs> but maybe so i um for those of you that don't know i have got an interest in um weird music i would say so sort of like sound art sound collage some people call it noise music experimental sound music this comes from me being um well i used to be in a band and i used to record the band and then i got heavily into sort of sound engineering and things like that so um i did i used to have it's broken now so i used to have what's called a contact microphone um and this one had been dipped in like resin so it was uh waterproof so you could dunk it under the water um, and sound travels really well under the water and you could record things. So I went through a phase of like dipping my microphone in anything I could find. Um, <laughs> that sounds really dodgy. <laughs> it was really dodgy. Um, I did this once. I went on holiday. <laughs> I went on holiday to Crete once with this microphone and I was sticking it in anything I could get. I could get near. I, was, I stuck it in a well. I stuck it in the <laughs> dirt. I left it in a tree. They got cicadas in Crete. Um, oh yeah, that's absolutely cool. fantastic. And my mum and dad's place is in the middle of this olive grove. It's beautiful. But if you go at a certain time of year, the noise of these cicadas is just incredible. So I left my microphone and a and a. I was using a cassette recorder actually. Um, 
in, just in a tree. And we went off for like an hour and I came back and I've still got the tape. It's an hour of cicada noises. Wow. Um, but um, on that holiday in Crete, I um, I did a lot of dunking my microphone in yogurt, Greek yogurt. <laughs> And I've actually got I've got a cassette of uh, squelchy yogurt sounds. Um, so it's not mayonnaise. Like yeah, very much like mayonnaise though. So yes, Greg, I do believe that mayonnaise is a musical instrument. And and I also I also have a uh, I have a, a seven inch vinyl. Um, it's actually worth a lot of money. You're going to wonder why when I describe what it is to you. It is um, so a similar microphone, but they but they made a very small version of it. Um, they, they, this guy was going for a colonoscopy. And oh my god! Really? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so he he saw this as an opportunity, much like with me yeah. with Magritte yogurt and cicadas. And uh, yeah, I've got a seven-inch vinyl of it's fourteen minutes of a colonoscopy. Wow! Yeah. Have you go. listened to it? I ha- I've listened to it on more than one occasion. Does it sound like one would expect? It sounds like if you dunked your mic in a load of Greek yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. So yeah, when when that question came up today, I was like, oh, oh, so like that. You know, you know, it's very very rarely something comes up on this podcast. Well, I'm an do you know what? <laughs> yeah, I bet Greg wasn't expecting such <laughs> such a comprehensive answer. Oh, there you go. Um, Is man is an instrument. Video everything's an instrument greg everything yeah. is an instrument i think greg's just got a new set of drums which really excited me because i was like yeah we're gonna have like a, a post lockdown big rum jam session um, wow that sounds amazing yeah so uh so i've still still to meet greg in person many times it will virtually. happen it, it will, will happen. happen and uh and uh yeah maybe we'll record something and uh you know with some mayonnaise <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much for all those yeah, questions. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Yeah, they mean, were great questions. Yeah, it means the world to us that we get so much interaction on the page. It's really, and really I cool. And I hope we've done, we've done them all justice. Yep, yep. I'll go and have some mayonnaise. Yeah. You like dogs and I like dogs and you like dogs and yeah. We like dogs and I like dogs and you like dogs and yeah. We like dogs and I like dogs and I like dogs and yeah. Well, there we go. Another one. Another one in the can. It's been good to get started, hasn't it? 2021. 2020-2021. means? It means we've been doing this for over a year. Oh, my goodness. And you're not fed up with me yet. No, we've been doing this for over a year. Um, uh, 28 episodes? I can't remember now. <laughs> you should have looked that up. Jurid was our first one, wasn't she? She was, and that was in January 2020. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. I was around your house and then we had dinner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we had that lovely lentil curry, I think. Oh God, you've got better memory than I have. Yeah. Well, I remember food. Well, long may it continue. As lots of people lots of people point out, like it's really loads of podcasts start and then just sort of like disappear into the ether after hiatuses. I've been involved in one or two of them myself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love doing this. So uh, No, yes. it's brilliant. It's great. And I'm, yeah. I uh sorry I can't give more time than I than I can but yeah long may it continue. So we've got loads of good stuff coming up this year. We've got loads of stuff in the pipeline. We've got uh I'm not going to say any of it, but you're just going to have to trust <laughs> me. You have to trust me. So loads of interesting people to talk to on off your shelf uh and some great books. Great books coming our yep. way that we're going to uh, dissect 
for want of a better word, and uh, and, and make sure that you go out and spend all your hard-earned money on. Yes. Go on then, tell us a joke. Keep uh, Mr. Amazon busy delivering. <laughs> right, uh, we've done poems before. Yep. Story time with Steve. Yep. Now we're going to do Comedy Corner with Nat. It's like a sort of like Northern Working Man's Club. But yeah. Evil. I mean, there's there's no jokes about my mother-in-law. Yeah, my mother-in-law. So, um, what do you get if you cross a marigold with a sheepdog? I don't know. A cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm thinking rubber glove. That's why I was going, oh, oh I like no. it. Cauliflower. Oh, the plant. <laughs> this one's good. This one's good. Fine. What do you get if you cross a yellow phone with a dog? Yellow phone with a dog. Uh, oh, I don't know. Go on. A golden receiver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put... Um, I'm going to cut everything there and just put the, a tumbleweed sound effect in. <laughs> this is why I love bad jokes, because they just make me laugh so much. <laughs> but it's only ever me. Um, okay, oh, last one. Oh, God, one. there's more. <laughs> La- no, Go on last then. one. Go on, um, Who is the most famous dog detective? Sherlock Bones. Yeah, you got it. Woo, woo. I only know that. Um, I know that because I was looking for pictures of a, a dog dressed as Sherlock Holmes, a cartoon dog dressed as Sherlock Holmes every day. And I remembered that it reminded me of an old 80s TV show that was, I think it was called Sh- uh, Sherlock Hound, Sherlock Hounds or something like that. But anyway, uh, it, they brought loads of pictures of it. I was like, oh, yeah, I, remember I vaguely that. remember that. Sort and... of in, in, the, in the era of um, Lost Cities of Gold and 80 yes. Days Around the World with yeah. Phyllis Fogg. Yeah. Well, oh well, I hope you all enjoyed Comedy Corner with Nat. I did. Can we bring it? Can we bring it back next next week? Uh, well, well, we'll see how it goes down. Uh, maybe we'll have to do a poll whether we want Story Time with Steve or Comedy Corner with Nat. I think we should mix it up as with everything. Yeah. Don't want the same sandwiches every day at school, do you? <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, everyone. We'll um, be in your ears next time. Yep, we will. Bye bye. Atoms collide, our cells divide, just like they've always done. A spark of life, we multiply this ride, has just begun. Stretches back through all time. Time guided by a primal desire to simply survive. Survive, you can't keep it down.
It grows. 